Well, this morning we are continuing in our series here through the life of Jesus and his teachings, going through the book of Mark and the book of Matthew, these gospels that really give us such a beautiful picture of who Christ is and of what he's called us to and the hope that we have and, and what he offers us. And, and really, as we've been going through, through both books, through Mark and through Matthew, right, the good news of the gospel is that the king has come this long-awaited child, this long-awaited prophet, priest, and king, and he has come and he has offered us access to his kingdom now. Like, yes, we, we do sing and are so eager for that coming day when we will feast in that house of Zion then, but he offers it to us now as well and that we can get the fruits of that kingdom here. And he offers us these, this competing kingdom in the midst of a kingdom that we live in. We live in this world that tells us the way that we should live and the way that it operates. And Jesus comes and says, you don't have to live this way anymore. You can live in my kingdom. You can be part of my family. You can experience peace and joy and love. But the reality is, right, the reality is that while we read these words of Christ, we hear him offer us hope. We hear him offer us a family. We hear him offer us a community that will operate with agape love and all of these principles and beauty and peace, what we experience in this world is not that. And oftentimes what we experience in Christian community is very little difference than what we experience in the world. And oftentimes, right, for many people, they experience more love with non-Christian communities than they do within Christian communities. What Christ seems to offer doesn't always seem to be experienced. That oftentimes, rather than experiencing love and peace and joy, we experience guilt and shame and judgment and condemnation and lack of intimacy. Well, Christ today wants to warn us of this reality and warn us of these things that can limit us from experiencing the joy and the peace and the hope that he has for us within Christian community. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, we'll go through them up on the screen as well. But in this section here of Matthew 7, he's, he's told us the good news of the kingdom already. It, it, that, that's been really clear. Jesus tells it to people all the time, right? Put your hope in me, live in my kingdom. You all have access. Everybody has access to this peace and this joy that I give you. But now he goes through and he's warning his disciples, these are the things that will stop us. These are the things that are the pitfalls. Like we talked about previously, like that desire for reputation, the desire for wealth and money and treasures. And now he's going to talk about these, this, this judgment and pushing good things on people will stop us from experiencing the fullness of this joy and peace that he offers. So in chapter 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts or good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. It's a really powerful passage. I feel like that's with everything here in the Sermon on the Mount. You read one of these paragraphs, you're like, whew, that is, that's very hard-hitting because it's true. These, this experience of judgment, right? This experience of judgment that we all have experienced and that we all do to others, right? Christ is warning us that there are two things that will hinder us as a community from joining in God's redemptive work, Right, there are two things that are going to hinder us from being able to take part in experiencing the kingdom, and that's judging and pushing good on people who don't want it. And the effects of this judgment, right, we, Christ's words are really clear to us, and we know it as we read it. The effects of judgment, the effects of condemnation, is stark and very painful. To judge people, right, is to stand over them, to look at someone, and we look at their lives, we look at the decisions they make, and we say, you're wrong. And that's judging people. I look at someone's life, I look at the decisions they've made, I look at what they do, and I say, you're wrong. And the experience of that, right, on an individual level, when you know someone is judging your every action, or not even every action, but just some of your actions even, when you know that people are judging you, when you know that people are are giving verdicts about you in their mind or their head, they may speak them, they may not speak them, but it creates an exclusion. You feel excluded from the community. You feel excluded from them, right? I I can't be close with this person. I can't be intimate with this person. I can't share with this person because they judge me. They are judging me. I can't be close to them. And for those, and when we experience judging of others, when we are the judges, right, we experience that same exclusion and a feeling of I can't be close to them until they fix certain things. There's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of shame, and there's a real danger with passing judgment where it really creates a lot of pride and arrogance in the person who's doing the judging. You may have, right, because you can justify your judgment very easily. I can, well, I'm, they are wrong, right? this is a mistake, they are sinning, I mean, my judgment is accurate, so therefore it's right, what's the problem, right, aren't we supposed to correct, aren't we supposed to speak the truth, aren't I supposed to be discerning, right, I mean, this is just the truth, they do need to change their life, this behavior is wrong, and it just develops this, this arrogance and this pride and the self-righteousness of being able to determine what is right, what is wrong in everyone's life. 
and it creates a critical spirit, and we feel it in community, right? Many of you may have been part of communities or feel like this in community now where there is a spirit of judgment, right? No one may ever say their judgments of others, but that feeling, that spirit is very palpable. When you feel like you're always under the microscope, when you feel like people are always evaluating you, when you feel like you can't come clean about the things in your life or the big decisions, if it comes, to, if for anything, if it comes to, if when we're talking about money, how much to save, how much to give, what career decisions to go to do, when you talk about your vacations, when you talk about your homes, right, there's this fear of sharing because there's a fear, right, not even a fear, but even just a knowledge that you will be judged the moment you talk about how much money you make or the moment you talk about how you choose to use your time or what your interests are, right? We talked about before, Christ was saying like the sign of intimacy is sharing your treasures with each other. That's a frightening thing to do. You can't share your treasure when you feel like people will judge you for why you treasure the things in your life that you do. And these communities might become very closed off where there's a spirit of judgment in them. Outwardly very friendly, outwardly very kind, outwardly toe the lines, but they're closed off groups. There's not a lot of growth, there's not a lot of outreach, there's not a lot of looking out, but a lot of looking in, and there's usually always a lack of intimacy within those groups because of that spirit of judgment. And Christ warns us, don't be judged. There's a counterattack to judgment, right? That once you judge somebody and say these things, as you have probably experienced, they judge you back. Having a spirit of judgment, having that criticalness, it just it goes back and forth. The moment you've pronounced judgment on somebody, this behavior is wrong, well, they come back and tell you your behavior is wrong. And it just continues to amplify and go back and forth, this mutual judging. As a, as a parent, right, I experience this on an almost daily level, right, where you tell your kids this is wrong. Well, I saw you do, you know, or like you need to cut off, you know, you, sorry, you know, one more hour of screen time. Well, how much screen time did you have, Dad? Whew, okay. It's the, but that's our natural reactions. When we are judged, we judge the person who's judging us. And Christ is saying this is what will happen to you. If you pronounce judgment, you will be judged right back. And that judgment and that spirit of judgment will just continue to continue. And it will grow and it will grow. And in our culture today, right, it is even more so with, you know, if you think about 20, 30 years ago, that statement of like, you could hate the sin and love the sinner. Have you heard that kind of very evangelical Christian term? That was almost kind of accepted. People believed that. Now that is completely, right, laughable that someone could hate someone or hate their behavior but love the person. That, it doesn't work today in our culture today in the context, even within the church. No, if you say that my behavior is wrong, you are saying that I am wrong. You can't tell me that what I'm doing is wrong without telling me that you hate me. And so when we judge others, the pain and the hurt of it and the going back and forth of judging, we, we feel this. And there is an exclusion and there is a hurt. And we're all guilty. Right? If you honestly think about your life right now, we are guilty of judging. Right? There are people in your life now 
People in your communities, if it's the church community, if it's your family, it's your work, it's your neighborhood, there are people who are under the microscope for you, right? Who you have an easy time judging their life, where they almost can't do anything right because you're eager for them to be wrong, where they would say that they feel under the microscope from you. As leaders in the church, as house church leaders, as elders, as, whoa, we're, we're clearly guilty of this. It goes with the territory of being in a position of oversight. We will judge, and I have judged, and I have judged wrongly, and I have hurt people in my judgments. And as people who are under authority, there is just as much judgment, right? For those of you who are in house churches or in communities, you judge your boss all the time. You judge your shepherds all the time. You judge the leaders around you too. We're, we're constantly in this position of judging each other. And Christ says we need to stop. That the spirit of condemnation and judgment is the log in our eye that we have to get rid of. The log isn't something that we can just fix. You say like, okay, I'm going to deal with my sin I recognize it, now I can go ahead and judge you. No, (laughs) no, that judging is the problem. It's not you just deal with the sin and then go ahead and judge. The judging is wrong. Before we can love and help our brother and sisters, before we can actually love people in community and experience this hope and this peace, we need to become the type of people who don't condemn. That's what Christ is saying. You have to get the condemnation, you have to get that judgment out before you can love somebody, before you can speak the truth, before you can actually love, genuine love, you've got to become a type of person who doesn't condemn, who doesn't judge. Otherwise, like he just said, it will be this mutual judgment back and forth and you will not experience this hope and this peace, which only comes through that living friendship with Christ. Now the other danger, right, the other danger of, that presents itself to us is not just the judging. That we know, and we've experienced the hurt of judgment and the self-righteousness of judgment, and we've justified ourselves in our judgments. The other issue Christ presents to us is that right along with it, the pushing of good things on people will also damage our experience in community as well. This pearls before swine, right, is such a powerful image, but so misused in culture and through the years. You know, I mean, I think the way that I grew up with this verse, right, is like don't waste your time giving good things to people, right? If they're not going to appreciate it, then don't give them nice things, right? Pearls before swine. No, you just don't deserve good things. That's not what Christ means, He doesn't mean that. The intention of this is to say, stop giving people what you think is good for them, but that they don't want or need. A dog doesn't need something that's holy. A swine doesn't need pearls. They can't eat them. They can't use them. They will eventually get frustrated with you and turn and attack you because you keep giving them things that they don't want and can't use or need. And we've experienced this, right? You've experienced this. You've been on the receiving end of this where people keep giving you good advice, keep telling you what to do, keep solving your problems for you and telling those those things. And you say, 
enough, right? Stop. I don't want you to fix this. I'm fine. I don't need this from you. Again, the parent-child relationship is a good example of all of these things, right? You can have these great ideas for people. You can have these great solutions to their lives. It could, right, see how they go hand in hand, the judging of others. And this is how we get so kind of self-righteous in it because it's like, well, I see the problem. All right. Yep, this is, they've got, they've got a, this, their, their marriage. This isn't right, the way that they're treating each other. Okay, I see it. I recognize it. And I've got a solution for it. Now I'm going to speak the truth. Now I'm going to tell them and give them my solution. And eventually, it doesn't work. Right? You tell them a solution. They may even be willing to try it out of love for you, but they don't want it as much as you want it. Right? And it eventually stops, and they go down the path for a little ways and then eventually stop doing those things because you want it more than they want it. Or as a parent, right, you may want it for your children more than your children want it. And they may go down it. They may do it. They may follow your advice, but not because they want it. Right, but out of guilt, out of fear, out of obligation, out of a love for you, but it'll eventually kill the relationship if they just do what you tell them to do. We've experienced this. Because ultimately, what Christ is telling us is that in both of these situations, in our condemnation of people and in how we push solutions onto people, we're taking the person of Jesus out of the situation. We're removing Christ from community. It's not a shock that this should be our experience. Rather than keeping the people that we actually love underneath the control of Christ, we're trying to put them under the control of ourselves. Instead of letting them remain within the kingdom of Christ and under his lordship, we try to put them under our kingdom and under our lordship. And the result, the fruit of those efforts, right, is anger, anxiety, fear, contempt, pain, and disappointment. Again, outwardly, <laughs> that Christian hypocrisy, right, that the world rightly points to as a reason not to believe in Christ because the Christian community looks nice, acts nice, right, but it's a very thin veneer. And underneath it, there is fear and there's pain and there's disillusionment. Rather, what Christ advises us, tells us, right, he used this image of doves and serpents later on, but this picture of like, just wait, watch. Stop trying to be Jesus. Act directly, quickly, and without misleading people. Stop just watching everyone's life with a spirit of looking for what's wrong. But when you see something wrong, act directly without misleading. Because the big push that Jesus takes us to is not just a, right, Christ is such a good teacher. He's, he doesn't just tell us what to not do. Don't judge. Don't push things on people. But he does tell us what to do. Right? If we really believe that Christ is the Lord and we are not, if we are really ready to see that these people that we love are within his kingdom and not in our kingdom, 
well, what would we do? How would we act? What is the way of Christian community? It's asking, right? Because as long as I am condemning my friends and those who are closest to me, as long as I am pushing my pearls on people, I am their biggest problem, right? I am their problem, not their behavior. I'm the issue, and I need to remove myself from the situation. And the moment that we're ready to step step out of that position in people's lives, right? The moment I can actually say, right, this is not my place to judge. The moment I can say, right, this is not my role. This is not my job to fix their lives. This is not my job to convict them of their bad behaviors or their sin. The moment I say that, the moment that Christ can actually enter in and hope enters into the situation, into the community, where we actually start to request, we start to ask, right? Verses seven through 11 is how a Christian community should live. Asking becomes natural instead of telling, instead of judging. How do we love people? How do we help? How do we speak the truth? Because we're called to do those things. Christ says, if you love people, you will ask. You will ask them. We will ask the people in our lives how they're doing, why they're doing the things that they're doing. But not with a spirit of entrapment, right? asking them already knowing the answer and trying to get them to see it. We just ask. We ask. We knock on the door of their lives, right? And it'll be opened or it won't be opened. And we have to be comfortable with it not being opened. We just ask. We ask of people in a way that they will ask of us. Instead of a mutual judging of of each other, there's a mutual asking of each other that should be happening within Christian community. A seeking of each other which leads us to a seeking and an asking and a requesting of God. Because in that act of requesting, in this position of asking, do you see how that puts the community on very equal footing? As a leader in community, when I actually come with a spirit of asking, I'm in their position. I I come alongside of them asking of the Lord for them and on their behalf versus over them, telling them what's wrong, giving them advice, telling them what to do. It unites us. Prayer becomes the proper way of relationships in the kingdom. Because the asking of others moves us to ask of God. Instead of this, a judging and condemnation, an outwardly nice but an inwardly fearful and not wanting to share too much, right? Which is most of our experiences. Rather, within, within the gospel, within Christ, within his community, the experience is one of a mutual seeking, a mutual asking of prayer becomes the primary vehicle of love within communities, not just of a giving of answers. Prayer becomes the powerful answer 
to our basic needs and desires in community. Because when I was in that position of judgment, on either side, as a leader or just a participant in a community, in any community, right, why am I so quick to judge? Because I need them to do things. I need them to operate in a certain way. Right? I need my leader to also be my best friend. Or I need them to treat me in a certain way. Or as a leader, I need the people around me right, to support me. I need the people around me to kind of have their life together because it makes my life easier. I need these things. That's why we judge. Because we expect of people. We need them to do things for us. Because if they don't do what we think they're, they should be doing... It causes fear and anxiety for us. And we don't know how to handle it. Whereas in this community, right, under Christ as our Lord and King, prayer is how my needs are met. Prayer is where my desires are met. Our confidence in God is the only thing that makes it possible to treat people the way that they should be treated. Because my needs are met. I don't need them to meet my needs. And the needs of those closest to me are already met. They don't need me to meet their needs. Which creates the space of peace and equality within the kingdom. Right? Within community. When I actually believe that Christ is sufficient for me to meet my needs with its friendship if it's love and acceptance, whatever it is, if Christ is sufficient to meet my needs and what I need from community, if I really believe that Jesus gives me it, then I can stop looking to my community with this judgment and expectation that they have to meet all of my needs and these people that Christ has brought me with, right? Because otherwise it just leads to this disappointment event. Because your Christian community will disappoint you. I will disappoint you. People will disappoint you all the time. If you have these expectations of them that they have to meet your needs, it just isn't going to work. And that pain and disappointment will lead to judgment. And then if I also believe that the people that I really care and love, that their needs are actually been met in Christ, and I don't have to be the one to meet their needs. I don't have to be the one to save them. I don't have to fix their life. I don't have to fix their problems because Jesus has already fixed them. Right, it creates a space for peace. Because what Christ is calling us to, or pointing us to, it points us to who Jesus actually is within the space of community. If Jesus is who he said he is, if Jesus did what he said he did, and the apostles said he did, if he truly died and rose, You know, in the book of Colossians, it talks about this, that Jesus reconciled all things to himself, that he now goes between all things, that he is over all things, that he is this mediator between everything in the world. If that's true, if Jesus really is who he says he is, well then, I no longer have direct access to people anymore. There's a go-between. Christ stands between me and everyone in this world. Christ stands between me and my family. He stands between me and my wife, me and my children, me and my Christian community. Jesus stands between us as the one who holds everything together, as the one who's reconciled all things to himself. 
This is what the Christian church for millennia have been talking about, about Jesus and this cost of following him. You give up all things. I give up my life when I follow Christ. Not that I lose it, but that I actually find my life. When I give up my life, I find it. When I give up my family, I find them. When I give up the community, I find it. When I give up my control over the relationships in my life, I get them better. It's Christ who stands between things. It's Christ as the mediator. I only have access through him and through the reconciling work on the cross that I can, I can act towards people. My family is not my family. They belong to Christ. My friends are not my friends. They belong to Christ. My church community is not mine. It belongs to Christ. And when I recognize this fact, <laughs> there is so much freedom and so much joy that enters into this that I no longer am this direct go-between, that I no longer am the one who has to hold my world together, that I no longer am the one who holds all the relationships around me together. There is a freedom and a joy and fruit, instead of telling people what to do, I can ask of them now because I know that I'm not the one who's in control. Instead of a spirit of condemnation and judgment, there's a spirit of joy, there's a spirit of laughter. Tim Keller and Dallas Willard, both separately, write about this. They're like the mark of a Christian community, like true Christian community, the mark of the gospel in people's lives is laughter. Because it's an absurdity, right? When you realize, when you recognize the gospel and that Jesus stands between you and all things and you, it makes all human relationships fairly absurd that I can live with people and I can talk with them and interact with them and love them, realizing how much Christ is taking care of them and how much Christ is taking care of me and we don't take ourselves as seriously anymore. We don't take sin seriously anymore. We do and we don't and we take forgiveness seriously. There's a a lightness to it. There's a laughter that comes from experiencing this hope and this peace of that Christ. Because when I feel like I'm the one who directly is responsible, then I have to maintain all of the relationships in my life. I have to watch what I say. I have to watch what I do. I have to be careful not to offend. I have to be careful. When I see Christ, I can laugh. I can be honest. I can be genuine. I don't fear judgment and condemnation anymore. Even if I receive it, right? This is what Paul says, like don't let people pass judgment on you. It doesn't mean that they don't let them actually judge you. Everyone will judge you. Don't let that affect you any longer because you know who you are in Christ. When we know the gospel, judgment, condemnation become laughable. There's love instead of judgment. So the question for us, right, the question for me is, right, how do we move? How do we make that move from judging and a critical spirit, right? Because when you think about the people in your life that you tend to judge the most, that are under the microscope for you, right, it just comes naturally when you see their lives for you to judge it, that you have a very strong opinion about what they do, their motivations, and how they live. We all have these people. We have these in our community. We have them in a broader community. They're people that are, for some of us, just very easy to judge. Well, how do I move away from that spirit? 
How do I move away from a spirit of judgment and towards a spirit of asking? How do I move away from this spirit of condemnation and towards a spirit of laughter? We have to see Christ. We really do. We've got to stop seeing people directly and we have to stop, start seeing Jesus. We have to start seeing who Jesus actually died for. That he died for them, for this person you judge, for this community you judge. He's reconciled them to him. Christ is over them. You're not. You have to see where Christ actually stands. He is the Lord of their life. You are not. Get out of his chair, right? The judge is coming. Why are you sitting in a seat that's reserved for the true Lord of the universe? You have to see him as the judge. You have to see him as the one who is reconciling all things. You are not the one who is reconciling all things. He is. He is the one who will judge people. You are not. And we have to ask. We have to start asking and stop telling. Because we're not off the hook for speaking the truth in love. We're not off the hook for discerning and caring and loving people in our community. Love them the way that you want to be loved. This is the law and the the prophets. But we have to become the type of people who love if we're gonna do this. We have to love people. So how do I love? I need to ask. I need to ask forgiveness, right? I need to ask forgiveness of the people that I judge, right? I need to ask forgiveness within community. I have to ask forgiveness from God and I need to ask for help, right? I need to ask for help in my ability to forgive the people who condemn and judge me who will never ask for forgiveness, nor do they need to, because they have been forgiven in Christ. Again, I'm not their Lord. They don't need my forgiveness. I need to ask for the help to forgive the people who judge me, and I need to ask for help in loving the people who need to be loved. We need to be reminded of who Jesus is. We need to seek him earnestly. We need to start practicing these things. It's an aspect in which we just assume that prayer and seeking and asking should come naturally and easily. (laughs) It doesn't. And why would we expect it to come easily and naturally? We need to practice these things. This is why Christ gives us this word of, of prayer and disciplines that you need to go into your closet, that you need to practice the disciplines of prayer. You need to seek. You need to be asking so that we will ask more and more and more and that our spirit within community and the spirit within our life would turn more towards love, more towards laughter and less towards judgment. That's our hope. Our hope is in Christ and what he has done. We need to see him between us and the ones that we love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the way that you love us Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done, how you have reconciled us to yourself. Us who are so judgmental, so quick to judge, so quick to anger, so quick to condemnation, and you are so slow towards those things. 
And we are slow towards love and you are quick towards love. Lord, we are thankful for who you are. We are thankful for the way that you love. We are thankful that we have received your love and that there is nothing we can do to ever not have that love. That no matter how often we judge and no matter how critical our spirit, your love for us does not waver. Lord, we confess to you that we far too often have a spirit of judgment, especially towards those who are the closest to us, especially towards those who you have called us to love the most. Lord, we, we are sorry and we seek your forgiveness. Help us to love people. Help us to know that we are loved by you. Help us, Lord, to know that you love the people in our lives more than we do and that you've reconciled all things to yourself. Lord, strengthen us in that love as we go forth in community, as we love others the way that we love ourselves, the way that you love us. Lord, we need you and we need your strength. We recognize that we can't do this on our own and we need to stop trying to do this on our own, stop trying to fix people's problems on our own. But Lord, that we trust you, that you have fixed everything already and that you are in control and that we can seek and we can love people. Lord, we thank you. And we ask for a greater amount of that love and that spirit with us. In your name we pray, amen.